Welcome to the Cooping a Coal Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinbart. I'm an analyst and advisor at Cooping a Coal Analysts. My guest today is Alexei Balaganski. He's lead analyst and works with Cooping a Coal Analysts from Düsseldorf. Hi, Alexei. Hello, Matthias. Thanks for having me again. Great to have you again, and especially when we have such an interesting topic. We want to talk about uh, citizen developers, and that is a rather new term coined just recently. Before we define what a citizen developer is, where does this trend come from, Alexei? Well, I guess we have to look a little bit further into the past to understand the, the reasons for this development. I mean, this whole uh, quote-unquote digital transformation thing uh, has promised us that everything done on a computer will be easier and faster and more convenient to everyone. Partially, that definitely is true. Unfortunately, users are, are very much limited by the functionality offered to them by the office applications or enterprise applications, whatever they're using to do their job. If the application has a particular feature or function, It works fine, but what if it doesn't? The only traditional way for uh, these uh, use cases would be just to go write a ticket or send a request to a software developer and then wait for weeks and months for them to implement this new capability, which is, of course, not always convenient or even possible. So obviously, uh, just like 40 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, people were looking for alternatives. We used to do things like scripting, writing batch files, using some of our custom-made extensions. There are many old and new uh, possibilities to, to address this problem. Perhaps the most popular and uh, still prevalent citizen development tool uh, around the world is Microsoft Excel, where people just write their macros or formula. And all this uh, basically boils down to How do enterprises enable these users who have very little knowledge about programming, but uh, a lot of knowledge about the business domains? How do they enable them to create these missing functions themselves with some easier to use tools as than traditional application development platforms? And these people are the citizen developers. Okay, so we are talking about those users, end users, more or less, that use existing functionality for programming, for adding code, for adding functionality to existing systems to extend their work areas. So all around from, from batch programming to, to shell programming on Unix systems to all these shiny new point-and-click tools that come, for example, with Microsoft Office, so these power apps, and if this, then that, all these platforms, this is what the tool bench for a citizen developer would look like, right? Well, you actually uh, mentioned a very important word in your question. Basically, you said extending existing systems. Partially, this is true. Unfortunately, this is not always the case. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Microsoft Excel is the preferred for many people to do their daily job. So instead of trying somehow to extend the existing, let's say, bookkeeping software, they would just quickly export the data from the bookkeeping software into a CSV file, load it into Excel, and then apply some formulas and transformations to the data. It's easy, it's convenient. Unfortunately, this isn't 
by no definition uh, extending an existing system. This is basically trying to reinvent the wheel for the hundreds or thousands time. When you have some kind of an end result from that Excel sheet, uh, what do you do with it? How do you get it back into the bookkeeping software? That's a challenge. And you've mentioned the word export data. That means you are proliferating or the user is proliferating data from its source system where it's most probably well-maintained and maybe even covered by a good business need to store the data there. Once it is outside of this system and it is maintained in a CSV file, in an XLS file, the control that the application system would impose on that is gone. So we are really also in, in the danger of having that data leaking because it is stored somewhere else. Well, this is exactly the biggest problem. Uh, many uh, people, many companies, many software vendors and even analysts are now pushing this idea of citizen developers incorporating these specialized tools more and more into their daily job. And some are large analyst houses, which names uh, we will not mention here, even predict that over 60% of the daily business functionality used by such people would be implemented through these specialized citizen development tools. It's all fine and dandy, but what about those security risks you just mentioned? Because in a way, uh, such tools are, are a classical example of shadow IT. So if a person who is supposed to be using a specific business application for whatever reason cannot use it properly because there is a missing functionality, they would try to utilize a different tool. What if this tool is not sanctioned by the central IT? What if it does not actually fulfill all those compliance and security criteria? What if it's not GDPR compliant? What if it would leak sensitive data outside of the EU, for example? or just leak it somewhere where the data is not supposed to be. There are so many potential problems uh, which have to be addressed. And unfortunately, this is not a topic widely discussed at the moment. Right. I fully understand what you mean, because all these power tools, if this, then that, they are very good in connecting systems together. And with one side is an, a sanctioned business application within the organization and the other is not. Uh, it still works very well. So we have a constant flow of information between sanctioned and unsanctioned systems. And that is really a danger, especially when you're thinking of organizations that really focus on defining and implementing and controlling an enterprise architecture approach and others within their own organization are adding functionality and systems to that, which are neither well understood nor sanctioned. So this is really an issue. Absolutely. And uh, of course, we also have to remember that an enterprise application by its definition is not just something which is used in a large enterprise, right? An enterprise application has to conform to quite a few, well, let's say quality standards. It has to be scalable. It has to be able to perform specific number of transactions per second or whatever, uh, it has to be uh, resilient, which is, doesn't break under load. And of course, it has to be properly secured. Let's imagine that you work for a bookkeeping department again, and you have this bookkeeping enterprise finance management software, 
which is resilient and uh, robust and secured, but somehow you are unhappy with it, so you export all the data into a tiny SaaS-based application hosted somewhere in, in the US, for example, and you are working from Germany. How can you be sure that SaaS application would apply the same level of uh, security and the same level of compliance to your data? You cannot, because it's, it's not defined in the contract. It's not enforceable from the EU, from the legal perspective, and so on and so forth. I mean, uh, it's even worse if this is an application you have created yourself using some kind of those uh, low-code or no-code platforms, which you mentioned uh, later in detail. It's the same problem uh, as in with APIs, for example. It's very easy to create an API, but it's very difficult to create a properly secured and compliant API. And it's just as well very easy to create an Excel or Office-based, whatever those Microsoft Power App or Smartsheet or dozens of other online services where you could quickly hack together a small application, but then you will publish it to the world. And how can you be sure that it's secured? Right. And on the other hand, of course, there is also the danger of that the wheel is invented more than once so that an organization um, encounters the same problem in different areas so that there are different solutions individually developed by individual people not knowing of each other. And uh, they, they have, yeah, they have just a parallel development that cannot be well integrated. And the same, I think this integration factor is also an important aspect to look at because what do you do when you have this functionality implemented and you want to share it with others and it does not fit into their business processes, for example? I think maybe we should also talk more about that integration factor as well. Well, that's a really good point. I mean, uh, the whole idea, the biggest challenge of the digital transformation nowadays is that you have too many silos, right? So every application, every IT system has its own data store, access controls, API structure, and so on. So basically, it's all isolated. And instead of fixing it, instead of uh, kind of integrating those silos together, the citizen developer would actually do the opposite. Every time you export your data from an existing database and put it into an Excel sheet, you are decreasing the level of integration within your company. And as you rightfully mentioned uh, just now, what if someone else will have to use your application? Or what if uh, your application has to be somehow integrated with another one implemented by someone else in a different tool with a different technology stack? If it's really uncontrolled and unmanaged from a central uh, IT perspective, you're creating a huge mess for everyone. Yeah, I fully agree. Although, on the other hand, I fully get the point that if this is done adequately and in a guided manner, that could really codify the experience of individual people that know the task that is missing and understand that very well to provide a solution that fixes really an existing issue. So there could be also a process to impose guidelines to make sure that this is well integrated, follows at least a set of basic standards. Would that be something that you think can work? Well, I mean, all you just said is absolutely valid and true. The only question is like, how do you do all this, right? And of course, uh, the easiest approach in a way, the easiest uh, approach would be that only certain sanctioned tools are allowed and kind of all the people within your company 
are using the same set of tools, or ideally the same single platform for creating their citizen applications, if you will. And this is a good segue to talk about this whole uh, low code and no code platform thing. So yes, this is actually a hugely uh, booming market nowadays. There are so many solutions on the market, all the new, by old, I mean, again, all those uh, Excel alternatives, which are available from many vendors. And there are some purely SaaS-based cloud-native uh, low-code platforms or no-code platforms. The whole idea that uh, instead of learning a programming language, you just start a GUI-based, like a graphical or user interface-based application where with some boxes and arrows and maybe uh, buttons, you design your workflow. You design where do you start, what happens if, then else, maybe input some easy formulas or into the logic and so on. In the end, you just click a button and you'll be able to execute your logic without even bothering about compiling and deploying that application, right? The only problem is, of course, how do you choose the right uh, low-code to no-code platform? First of all, let me just say, I am really not a fan of these two different uh, uh, terms because to me, they refer to essentially the same thing. A tool which simplifies creating a business logic for people who are not trained application developers. Whether it allows you to write a little bit of code or it explicitly prevents you from writing any code doesn't really matter. The whole idea that uh, it gives you enough flexibility to translate your business workflow into an app without having to learn a lot, right? So I don't actually understand why they use these two different terms as supposedly for different approaches. To me, it's the same approach. So let's just call them low-code platforms for simplicity. There are so many uh, solutions to choose from, but then again, uh, some are purely SaaS-based or they host it somewhere in the cloud, and you have to understand and assess all the risks of letting your untrained, unqualified, at least unqualified in uh, IT and security, let those people to upload your corporate data and other information into the platform. It might be okay but you still have to have some controls in place, some security and compliance controls. Or you might consider running such a platform on-prem internally. For example, perhaps uh, one of the most popular solutions uh, in that regard is Oracle Apex, which basically exists in, inside every Oracle database instance, regardless whether you run it on-prem or in the cloud. And of course, uh, if you run it inside your database, uh, you benefit from all those security and compliance controls built directly into the database because the data actually never leaves your database. We at Kupinger Call, we have worked extensively with our customers in identifying the risks of cloud platforms and how to mitigate them adequately. All the aspects that you just mentioned when it comes to where is data stored, how much security is in place, is it a certified cloud service provider, and we have lots of research published on that. These are decisions that then would be made um, in the worst case by just a single quote-unquote user who just makes this decision just as they consider it to be adequate, and that cannot meet the same level of adequacy that we usually try to apply to such a decision. So as you've mentioned, this cloud-based, SaaS-based approach is something that 
cannot be decided by a single user somewhere in the field within the organization. I think that is a, a main issue here as well. And, and on top of that, of course, um, there can be so much going wrong when you just click and deploy an application basically to the complete internet available for everybody. That can go horribly wrong with corporate data. If you let your users decide which uh, low-code platform they want to use for their hobby projects, if you will, this is a classical case of shadow IT. And of shadow IT is a no-no, right, from any perspective, IT or security or compliance. So the only sensible way to anticipate this rise of citizen development, and there is definitely a rise in the recent years, and it will continue to grow, definitely. So you have to anticipate it. You have to prepare. I mean, you as an abstract IT or security team of, a, of an enterprise. It has to be anticipated uh, and it has to become a part of this whole IT governance architecture and strategy as everything else. It has to be decided which tools are allowed, uh, how these tools are supposed to be protected and monitored and incorporated into the overarching IT governance uh, architecture. There has to be people assigned responsibility for these projects uh, and at least some kind of a sensible control. Of course, you cannot expect from uh, citizen developers to do the same quality control like uh, CI, CD or version control or for their source code or anything like that. All this is probably not available from the existing low-code platforms. But there must be some kind of workflow and process involved quality control, at least some basic quality control. And of course, you still have to think about safeguarding your sensitive data. So if your sensitive data is currently only protected through your enterprise application logic, but not, for example, on the lower level database level, and then you allow people to just directly query that database from the low-code platform, then you don't have proper security anymore. And then this will inevitably lead to a data breach. So there is quite a lot of things to consider when introducing this nifty concept into your enterprise. Right. So it's policies, it's guidelines, it's training. It's um, really also just um, making people aware of what's going on. So uh, it's not just that simple that the user just writes the code that they require to do their work. There needs to be the the framework in existence to make sure that if this approach is chosen within an organization and it's probably not easy to prevent, um, then it needs to be done well, just making sure that people follow the official way of doing this thing within an organization. Absolutely. So let me just quickly reiterate one thing. I am a huge fan of well, maybe not the term citizen developer, but uh, at least the idea that you let people uh, quickly adopt this. If nobody else is out there for you, just do it yourself quickly. Well, definitely uh, using a proper low-code platform instead of Microsoft Excel is also a great idea. But uh, in the end, you still have to think about all the potential risks and challenges. If you do it properly, or the productivity will soar. But if you won't do it properly, you will suffer really, really serious consequences of that, potentially even a massive data breach. So it's, it's a risky business, but it's a very rewarding one if you do it properly.
And I fully understand what you mentioned because many end users also have more or less a bit of an IT background and it's tempting to add this functionality. When you have these tools at your fingertips and the data at your fingertips, just to improve. I know that there is a temptation to do that, but as you've mentioned, to do it properly and then you can earn the value from that. You've mentioned a first product um, just just before. Um, what, where are we at Kupinga Coal when it comes to um, research around that topic? Well, uh, we have not really touched a lot of specific products yet, although there are some uh, reports in the works at the moment, so watch our website in the near future. But uh, we are definitely uh, have quite a lot of coverage for all those challenges uh, and uh, opportunities that come along. So database security, API security, web application security, IT governance and compliance. This is all extremely important for citizen developer as a concept, as a, as a program for your company. So I would really recommend starting with reading a little bit of theory uh, about it before actually going and trying to choose the most appropriate platform. That's a great summary from your side. Thank you very much, Alexei, for being here today with me and talking about this concept of citizen developers. And I think that as this is on the rise, this is something that we will cover in more than one format uh, in the future as well. So maybe another podcast episode, but also with blog posts, um, research notes, whatever we put out to the public as analysts. So thanks again, Alexei, for being here. Oh, thank you, Matthias. And bye-bye. Bye-bye.